You don't have any Stephen King. You've got the shoe. I mean shiny. Shh. Wanna get sued? It's just your fate. You're that geeky Stephen King kid. There's one of you in every school. Okay, that's him, that's him, that's Kujo, that's Kujo. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. Oh, crazy. Don't mind if I do. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical le- <laughs> take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content spread across all of obsessiveviewer.com's various podcasts. Uh, so at the $1 level, you get access to B-roll episodes of us just talking and bullshitting and everything. <laughs> and then at the $2 level, you get TV and book reviews and reactions. At $5, you get all of that plus movie content commentary tracks and then at ten dollars you get everything plus early access to content in unreleased episodes uh, again you can find that at pay, pay, patreon.com <laughs> slash obsessive viewer and for uh tower junkies fans on patreon at the two dollar level i have five episodes that's me talking about billy summers as i read it so there are four hours worth of content devoted to billy summers on there all you have to do go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh pledge two dollars you'll be charged immediately and you'll have instant access to everything at the two dollar level which includes those five episodes um of billy summers uh recordings of me talking about billy summers Okay, so yeah, again, that's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and joining me as usual is Tiny. How's it going, Tiny, and how did you feel about those surprises? <laughs> hey, uh, I'm good, first of all. Nice. And secondly, I liked it very much. Nice. You went with my suggestion from I did. the faculty. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so for uh, first-time listeners or listeners who don't pay attention to anything, <laughs> um, I tweaked the intro to the episode. Um, to, to the show. So now we have clips from uh, pop culture where it's referencing or parodying uh, Stephen King. And uh, and then I uh, changed the long-winded shit that I say at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so yeah. Good? Thumbs up all okay, around. Good, good. Yes, Roger Ebert. Good. Yes, yes. I don't know. Yeah. Check out Obsessive Viewer uh, podcast. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. You get a Siskel and Ebert. Nice. Two nice. thumbs up. That Cause, yeah, because that's yep. what, that was their thing. Yep, I. Uh, you remember? You remember? I I, I do. Okay. I do. Um, so yeah, so. I, li- I liked it. I liked the intro. Nice. Well, nice. Done. well done, sir. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I. Mm. I uh i won't say i tried my best but <laughs> i definitely uh compiled clips and put them into uh to uh the editing software i use you done good thank you thank you 
Um, so yeah, so uh, that's a fun surprise. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the 1993 film adaptation of Stephen King's novel Needful Things, thereby closing out our commitment to the listener choice polls that I posted on Twitter, which we got a very nice comment from listener and Patreon supporter Carol, um, which I felt very bad about because uh, it was a comment on Facebook and I didn't... Like, I, I apparently don't have notifications enabled, so, like, it was, like, a week later that I even saw the notification that she commented on it. <laughs> Damn. But, yeah, yeah, so, sorry, Carol. But she said, regarding the Needful Things novel review... Okay, so she commented a couple of times. She said, thanks for the review I voted for. Too bad you two didn't like the story as much as I do, but always cool to hear Tower Junkies POV on All Things King. Nice. So, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. So, okay. All right. Okay. So, so yeah, today we're going to be reviewing uh, Needful Things, the movie starring Max von Sydow, mm-hmm. uh, Amanda Plummer, Ed Harris, J.T. Walsh, uh, people off the top of my head. Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia. Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, people, the, and the town of Castle Rock, which is like a character <laughs> in and of itself. Castle Rock uh-huh. is in the house oh, tonight. Um, you got to load it up? I, do I? Don't, don't play it. Um, uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't. But anyway, so, oh, so this episode, I know. Shucks. So, so, <laughs> so we're going to be going back to. Uh, it was a lie. I had bitch. it the whole time. Castle Rock. Uh, <laughs> make it stop. Yes. Uh, I'm going to slowly fade it out because I'm not going to play the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, anyway, so I've got that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, needful things, but we do have a bunch of Stephen King news and check-ins to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, the only real piece of news that I have can also double as the Tower Junkies podcast content corner. Mm. Um, so we mentioned last time that there's going to be a podcast, uh, like a, a fiction podcast, mm-hmm. uh, based on Stephen King's short story, Strawberry Spring, um, from his Night Shift collection. Um, it has voice cast, including Ken Marino, uh, I think Garrett Hedlund. Hmm. Um, a bunch of people, but today it was announced that the first episode is going to be available everywhere September 1st. And there is like a three minute trailer Hmm. that, uh, that was released. And I, I kind of just wanted to play the whole trailer if that's fine. Okay, sure. Okay. So I'm going to play it here in just a second. Strawberry Spring based on a short story by Stephen King. Is someone there? I can't see you through the fog. Oh, it's you, thank God. Oh, please! No, 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 don't! Help! Now, there was a murder on the campus of New Sharon College. Sources close to the investigation tell us that it was a female co-ed, late teens to early 20s. We'll have more... Hello? Henry, have you heard the news? Yeah, just now on the radio. There was a murder on campus. It has all the signs. Wait, are you telling me? We can't be sure, it, but as of right now, it looks like spring Jack is back. spring Jack is back. It's a shock to the system hearing that name. 
It's almost been eight years to the day the last time the fog was this heavy. In New England, they call it a strawberry spring. No one even knows why. God, what happened at New Sharon during the last one? There might be a pattern for that too, but if anyone has figured it out, they've never said. It's been eight years. Why would Springheel Jack come back to New Sharon now? Uh, look at the press setting up out there. They're like vultures, just waiting to pounce. We have to prepare a statement. Tell me everything you can about this guy. What do you know that we don't? What do you want to know? You wrote a book on the Springheel Jack murders. What's in this thing that's going to help us catch him? Look, I don't know. Last time he just stopped killing. He disappeared, vanished into thin air. I don't know what happened to Springheel Jack any more than you do. Well, we must have been close to catching him. Probably scared him off. How do we know it's really him and not just the copycat? I don't. But I can tell you, police work has come a long way since 1968. This is 1976, and this time, it's gonna be different. Hello? Oh good, you're still there. What's up? Have you heard yet? Heard what? Henry, the guy killed somebody else last night. Now they're looking all over for it. For what? Her head. Whoever killed her took her head. Oh my god. I know, right? This isn't over. It's just the beginning. Strawberry Spring, starring Garrett Hedlund and Milo Ventimiglia. Produced by Audio Up Media and iHeartRadio. The first episode of Strawberry Spring will be available on September 1st. Listen to Strawberry Spring on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested. I'm going to check it out. Uh, don't think we would need to do an episode on yeah, it. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You have not read Strawberry Spring. No, I'm not familiar with it. So, it's a cool title. Yeah, me too. Um, I've, I've read it once in the Night Shift collection, but it's been a while. Okay. Um, that actually leads pretty well into my... One of my check-ins, if you don't, if you don't mind, go for it. Do you have any thoughts on on Strawberry Spring the podcast? Sounds cool. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of cool that like Stephen King is putting his chips into that pot. You know, podcasting a podcasting narrative show. It's Mm kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be interesting. Cool. Um. So my first check-in. Um, is somewhat related to that. I just very briefly just going to say I started, uh, night shift again. Okay. Um, just kind of on a whim, but it's also for a project that I want to do for Patreon next year that I don't know if it'll happen, but, um, but yeah, so I started listening or reading and listening to night shift. Um, so cool stuff. That's his first short story collection. It has the mangler, um, Oh, the Children of the Corn, mm-hmm. ugh, Graveyard Shift, and oh, Jerusalem's Lot. Okay, um, which is the basis for the Epics program with Adrian Brody called Chapel Wait. Hmm. Um, which we haven't really talked about Chapel Wait or anything. No. Um, I was not going to check it out, but then I saw on Amazon Prime. That the Epix channel add-on subscription is only ninety-nine cents. It's part of a promotion that, like, for the next year, it's a ninety-nine cents per month, and then it hmm. jacks up to like six dollars a month after that. Okay. 
So I went ahead and got it. And also, as of right now, at least through Amazon Prime, the first episode of Chapel Wait is available for free to watch. Nice. And I've been seeing some good things about it. So I might, I'll let you guys know for sure next time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might do episode reviews on Patreon. Okay. At a $2 level. So um, we'll see. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so those are a couple of brief check-ins from me. Tiny, okay. uh, you've got two check-ins? I have two. Nice. Do you I, want to hit me with your first one? I usually have one or none. Yes. Um. Well, so I'll do the easy one first. Mm. I finished Billy Summers. Nice. Went through it pretty quickly, actually, mm. um, because I was really into it. I yeah, mean. and you weren't... Uh, I wouldn't say that you weren't like interested in it, but you weren't that, like I guess, eager for it? Did you yeah. have... How much... How did, uh, Yeah. I didn't know much about it going in, really. I think I had read a summary of it several months ago before it ever came out and I was like okay sure sounds fine whatever um, but yeah it it really gripped me I of course I love the characters and mm-hmm. uh, that it, it was just really well grounded with the character and some of the rela- relationships he forms in it yeah that just kept it grounded for me um, mm-hmm. it's a little derivative sure of yeah. some other stories um, it's not super original in that regard but uh, just a, a really fun journey to take I liked it mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, yeah I mean when I got into it I was just like okay why do I I don't know why I would care where this Billy guy summers um, <laughs> nice. I mean I just I, I fall winter spring and summer in Indianapolis so <laughs> um, um, so dumb Paul Sparks <laughs> fantastic oh yeah. yeah so good yep he did a great job Absolutely. Yeah. And it was funny because like I, because you know that Devin Sawa is a huge reader and he's a big Stephen King fan. Yeah. So I was like, just on a whim, like, because I was like writing that high of finishing Billy Summers. And again, there's five episodes on Patreon for you guys, four hours worth of me just talking about Billy Summers in like 45 minute chunks. Uh, Each episode, it tackles certain chapters. So I did it as I was reading it. So like the first episode is chapters one through nine, I think, which I have am anal retentive and I have like the title is chapters one through nine, pages zero to one hundred and ten, and uh audio from zero 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 to three hours, nine minutes, ten seconds. Jeez. So that's all on there. Please consider checking that out on Patreon. <laughs> it's a lot of content. All you have to do is pay two dollars. It's not uh I I mean if you have it you know, and you want more content from us, check it out. Mm-hmm. But we are going to be reviewing Billy Summers next week mm-hmm. on the podcast. Yep. Um, very excited to talk to you about it. But uh, what I was saying is that I was I was kind of riding the high of finishing Billy Summers. And I was like, I wonder if Devin Sawa, who follow us, who follows uh, Tower Junkies Pod on Twitter. Um, nice. Last I checked, I don't know if he does or not anymore. But um, uh I was like, I wonder if he's read it yet, because usually he's he's on the ball with it and everything. Yeah. And so I was looking. I was like, No, I I, I don't think he's he's read it yet and everything. And then it just hit me like, What if he plays Billy Summers? <laughs> like, I mean, he I think he would be a good Billy Summers. I could see that totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, I so. couldn't picture anybody with Paul Sparks when I was oh, watching it, but yeah. um, he could totally pull that off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. So yeah, good stuff. I'm very excited to to dive into it with you. Yeah. Um, I've made hints at this, but uh, I'll just ask straightforward. It's not like leading. It's not leading the witness or anything. Mm-hmm. But are you going to listen to those episodes? Yeah. If oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I cool. will I'll listen to nice. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I mean, you don't have to or anything. But yeah, yeah. I'll. I don't know if I'll listen nice. to all five of them like okay. before we record. Gotcha. But I'll listen gotcha. to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, 
you guys listening, you're like Tiny's fine. Like it's fine if he doesn't do it, <laughs> but you guys will need to have that background before we record our episode. So go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. It's your homework. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to answer this, Tiny, but, <laughs> well, there's no way to ask this without uh, uh, without you answering it, but did this put, did you, did you re-examine your top 19 upon finishing Billy Summers? Uh, no. Okay. I don't, I don't think so. Gotcha. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, patreon.com slash <laughs> um, yeah uh, yeah it, it, I'm very excited to talk about it cool um, with someone else <laughs> uh, so yeah so it's uh, I can throw out a couple more um, okay uh, yeah I can I, I have a few more check-ins I'll throw out there and then if you want to round us out with your sure. last one after yeah okay so, uh, kind of rapid fire stuff. Uh, I recently also read slash listened to Just After Sunset, hmm. uh, uh, King's 2008, uh, short story collection, I think. Um, really good collection. Um, it, what I've done, what I usually do and what I've done now is, um, <clears throat> I, I did a Twitter thread of my immediate reaction to each story as I read them. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the thread and everything. But um, basically, anytime I finish a story, I set down the book or pause the audiobook and uh, went over to Twitter and was like, hey, this story, I felt this way about this story. And uh, here's a gif that is semi-related to the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's some really cool stories in Just After Sunset. Um, one of the things that really struck me, um, almost immediately, well, about three stories in is that on one hand, I don't know if the, I don't know if there's a direct correlation between what I'm about to say. And like, I don't know for sure if this was an influence on him, but I immediately noticed that a few stories have a running theme of like the afterlife and destruction. Hmm. Um, as well, like two separate things, like the afterlife, it takes place in stories. And like, there's a couple stories where it's like utter destruction and how people react to it. Hmm. And I realized that this is the first short story collection where, um, every story with the exception of one, uh, was written post nine 11. Oh, um, okay. yeah. And so I was kind of struck by it. I was thinking like, I wonder how much of like, you know, the national tragedy of 9-11, mm -hmm. I wonder how much of that influenced his writing of, like, these short stories, even some that are years later after it. Right. Um, what's interesting about that, though, is that there's one story in it called The Things They Left Behind, mm. which I, I, it nearly brought me to tears in a few points. Um, it's about a man who uh, wakes up on a sunny Tuesday morning and decides not to go to work and then the terrorist attack happens. Mm. And everyone in his office on, like, floor, like, 100 of one of the World Trade Center towers are dead. Wow. So it's him in the aftermath of 9-11 dealing with, you know, survivor guilt and also, like, these finding these artifacts from his office, like, that are kind of haunting him in a way. Hmm. And that's all I'll say about it. But like, I was blown away by it. I thought that it was just un like very, very um, raw and emotional. And like I said, it nearly brought me to tears a few times. Mm -hmm. And spoiler for the author's notes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, King wrote that 
wrote that story, like it, it was published like a year or I think he like finished it or whatever a year or so after 9-11, but he wrote it like a month after 9-11. Dang. And I think that that is one that he wrote in one sitting, like he couldn't sleep and he got up and just wrote it. Um, hmm. or I might be confusing that with another story in the collection. Wow. But, but yeah, so it's just, it's, it's remarkable. So that's the things they left behind. I highly recommend that. Nice. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And timing because the 20th anniversary of right. September 11th is a couple weeks. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Um, on, um, on a brighter note, um, <laughs> I am going to be, uh, as it stands now, I'm going to be a guest on the year of underrated Stephen King podcast. Nice. Soon. Yes. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> As you guys know, we've been, uh, we've been talking about Kim C's podcast for a while and how we're both big fans of it. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited that, uh, she extended an invitation for me to be on the podcast. Sweetness. Yep. So I will definitely let you guys know when that drops. And, uh, and we're going to work on getting her onto this podcast as well. Um, so that will be in the coming weeks, hopefully. barring unforeseen uh things right so so that's exciting and definitely check out the year of underrated stephen king it's really fantastic Mm -hmm. uh i'm a a big fan cool yeah and then okay and then the last check-in i have is just a recommendation um richard chismar who co-wrote gwendy's button box and wrote gwendy's magic feather and is co-writing with king gwendy's final task task which comes out in february Mm -hmm. um he just released a new book uh, called Chasing the Boogeyman, which I listened to on Audible, and it is great. It's really, really good. Nice. Yeah, it's um, it's really unique. I've I've it's referred. Uh, I've heard the term metafiction thrown around. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about his hometown of Edgewood, Maryland, and a serial killer in Edgewood that operated while he was home from college or something. Hmm. Uh, and he inserts himself into the story. He's a character and it's, it's a really interesting and twisted kind of, um, tribute to not just small town America, but specifically like his small town. Um, and it's just, it's really great. I was really impressed with the writing and everything. Cool. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's Chasing the Boogeyman by Richard Chismar. Um, he is also the owner and publisher and everything of Cemetery Dance. Um, oh which, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so. Very nice. Yeah. So those are my check-ins. What is your second check-in, Tiny? So it's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to qualify it as a check-in, but okay. my mother-in-law mm-hmm. is a huge reader. Nice. But she's not like super intense about it. She doesn't like consume art the way that we do really. Okay. And so she kind of reads as she like She doesn't a, have three podcasts. Right. Okay. <laughs> um she reads more as like a hobby, I guess. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how to quantify it, but she reads every day. Okay. And she reads like two books a week. I mean, she's very nice. prolific as a reader. Well, she's never I told her this weekend that I was, um, cause she gives her daughter, my wife, <laughs> shit all the time because she's not a reader, <laughs> but she knows that I am. And I'm like one of the only other people that 
is in her family who reads regularly. Nice. And so she asked me what I was reading, and I was talking about Billy Summers because I hadn't quite finished it yet and uh, how much I was really liking it. And she was like, you know, I've never read any Stephen King books. Oh, interesting. And I was like, really? You're like one of the most prolific readers I know. And she was, <laughs> she was like, yeah, I just don't. She's like, well, is everything that he writes like scary horror stuff? And and I was like, no, that's just kind of a common misconception. Mm-hmm. Like he, he got his start that way. I was like, but he's really evolved since then. And, you know, mm-hmm. over the last couple decades, he's written uh, he's written less horror than anything else. Yeah. You know, I, and so I explained that to her and she's like, okay, I'm sure I need to read something of his. I know I'd probably like something. And she's like, what's something that he wrote? Mm-hmm. That's like not real scary. That's not. That's not a horror thing. And I was like, well, I. I think. I think we. You and I have talked about this before, but yeah. like, where I think wh- it was like the first episode of the podcast. Yeah, like where you where you tell somebody to start. Yeah, and don't and, listen to those episodes, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> um, but I told her I was like, you should check out Misery because um, I was like, it's it's not really horror per se. I mean, it has some elements. Interesting, but it's more. It's a thriller more than anything. I think. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I, uh, like my reaction. But it's, it's not like ghosts and vampires and shit. And, right, you know, right. Yeah. Um, my, my immediate reaction was, I thought you loved your in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, Annie Wilkes is like one of the most terrifying King characters. I know, I know. Um, so that's but really I don't know. I guess I just don't see that book that, I mean, yeah, I guess it's scary but it's like a it's survival horror right it's not like yeah. supernatural horror or yeah, it's not jump scares yeah or it's disturbing yeah yeah so interesting i don't know if she's going to give that a shot but i told okay. her um i told her some other stuff that wasn't horror mm-hmm. like uh like the bill hodges books or yeah i was like the, the, his latest one billy mm-hmm. summers and i told her about the institute ah uh, yeah um which also could be a little disturbing i guess sure. but not not straight up horror yeah. um but yeah i, I was like I was like, honestly, just do anything. I was like, it's nice. not. I was like, you can do any one of his books, really. The and, Gunslinger, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would never tell her that. Um, but yeah, I was. It was just a kind of a fun conversation. That's interesting. Yeah. So I told her misery, huh. but I don't know if she's gonna start. She because she, she's seen the movie. Oh, okay. So she like knows what it is. She's like, I don't. She's like, you don't think that's horror? And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess, but. She likes the movie, but nice. She's just not. She does not get into horror even okay. slightly. Like, it's just not her thing at all. So. Interesting. So yeah, it's like one of the huh. only readers that I really talk to regularly, besides you and and right. Mike and stuff. And uh, she's not a Stephen King fan. So wow, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I um, while you were talking, I was trying to think of. Oh, I I mean, it's a it's a massive book but 112263 yeah that'd be a good one um yeah mhm i should tell her that yeah yeah i yeah mm. kind of under well under the dome yeah i'm pitching all of these 1000 page books <laughs> she like just upgraded she has like an older kindle oh nice that's how she reads she doesn't do audiobooks mm-hmm. um she like just upgraded her SIM card to like, oh, wow. I think like 300 gigs or something like that. Cause oh. she was like running out of space. Like that's Jeez. how many books she, yeah. That's um, awesome. and she has some subscription services where she can get ebooks like, uh, nice. I can't remember what they're called, but she, she'll kind of read anything. She's not really like, <laughs> sure. Particular to, uh, but she doesn't really do hardly any nonfiction. She kind of likes biographies, but she doesn't really do any nonfiction. Or anything like that. She mostly just reads like fiction books. Like, nice. But, so it yeah. just that reminds me of the the bit from, 
from uh they came together the mm. uh rom-com parody movie yeah um where uh paul rudd runs into amy poehler at the at a bookstore um and they uh it's after they've had like their their first meeting where they meet and despise each other because they dress as the same Halloween costume. It's all just cliched stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they meet at the bookstore and then, uh, and then <laughs> she, she's like, what are you doing here? And then he's like, well, I'm just here to pick up, uh, to, to buy a, a fiction book for my niece, for my, for my bubby. She's for her birthday. And then, uh, she's like, you like fiction books? <laughs> yeah, I I love fiction. You like fiction books? <laughs> I've never met anyone that's that's never that's that's liked fiction fiction books. Um, I don't know. Anyway, it was really funny. And then there's gotcha. a callback to that where they have their breakup, and then Amy Poehler is dating Ed Helms, and then uh, she's like, "So, how do you feel about fiction books?" And then he's like, "Uh, I don't really like them. They're not true. You know, they're not real, right? <laughs> like, it's, like they're just made up. Like I read Moby Dick in school, and then I was like, oh, this is a really cool story. And then the teacher's like, yeah, well, it's fiction. And I was like, well, why they write it down? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that movie. Yeah, like, it's really good. Everyone, check out. They came together. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, also to tie it, I've said this on the podcast before, I'm sure, but to tie it back to the Dark Tower or to Stephen King, um. Chris Malati uh, plays a character named Roland in that, and uh-huh. uh, the guy, the guy Schmidt from New Girl. Yes, yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, Greenfield, Max Green- Greenfield. Max Greenfield. Yeah, he plays Paul Rudd's brother, and his name is Jake. So uh-huh. Roland and Jake. So bringing it back to Stephen King. Nice. All right, so check-ins done. Yes. All right. Well, let's go into our review of Needful Things, the 1993 film. All right. So Needful Things was directed by, I believe this was first time director. This was his debut, uh, Fraser C. Heston, mm-hmm. and written, uh, obviously based on the book by Stephen King, and written, the screenplay was written by W.D. Richter, um, who... Oh, wow. He uh, wrote the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, he wrote Big Trouble in Little China, which I've oh. never seen. It's a fun movie. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, and some other stuff. And the movie stars some actors that we talked about uh, previously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Max von Sydow, Sydow as Leland Gaunt. Ed Harris as Alan Pangborn. Bonnie Bedelia as Polly Chambers. And Amanda Plummer as Nettie Cobb. And J.T. Walsh as Danforth Buster Keaton. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, as we usually do, we're going to do a non-spoiler review. And then I'll play a clip from the trailer and bring us into a spoiler section. So, right now you're free from spoilers. Um, but just so you know, we're going to go into spoilers later. Uh, I will prompt you and play stuff. <laughs> so, Tiny. Yes. Had you ever seen Needful Things before watching it for this podcast? Negative. Never done seen it before. Yeah. Nice. And how uh, were you looking forward to seeing it um, <laughs> after reading the book? How What were your expectations like going into the movie? I figured it wasn't going to be that great. You know, it's early 90s. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be kind of campy-ish. And his, Stephen King stuff fell into that trope subcategory quite a bit during this time period yeah um you know the the many the she the shining miniseries and yeah. uh the miniseries for the stand mm-hmm. um tommy it. tommy knockers oh. it <laughs> yeah, yeah, tommy i mean knockers. very very campy cheesy 90s stuff a lot of that was tv but 
I don't know. That just, I saw it. I remember seeing a trailer for this when I was a kid and I was just like, you know, I had a memory of it for whatever reason, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought it looked campy. And so I wasn't overly excited for it, but mm. um, you know, some of, the, some of those other properties like this, the shining miniseries and the stand and in it, they, they have their moments and yeah. I, I still have a soft spot for them and I don't, just shit on them because I think that was just kind of how stuff was back then. Yeah. Like that's just, that's how they made TV. That's how they made movies. There was a lot of low budget shit and just Mm -hmm. not a lot of fluff and circumstance to movies. They were very kind of straightforward and campy really. And, and so that I I try not to hold that against those stories. And I think if you don't, you can enjoy those. Um, So I was hoping this would kind of, um, would kind of, you know, walk that line sort of Um, ultimately I don't, think it necessarily did i i wasn't too thrilled with it it was it was fine um it wasn't like cringy necessarily but it wasn't it wasn't really good (laughs) yeah so i and i i feel like we're gonna agree a lot in this review yeah um so i hadn't seen it before i don't even think i had even seen trailers for it or anything um so i was completely in the dark as far as you know how they were going to handle this adaptation Mm -hmm. but to your point it's pretty clear. Like, I mean, there is a certain late eighties, early nineties, Stephen King adaptation aesthetic. So like, I'm thinking like movies like Cujo and, uh, sometimes they come back and other movies of that era all have that kind of, I, uh, children of the corn is a good example of that too. Like all have this, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like a low budget horror vibe to aesthetic where I, I kind of feel like it's maybe part of it is that it it kind of is by default uh, directed as or or shown as a um, or approached as a horror movie because that's what Stephen King is to the masses and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they set out to make a horror movie, have that kind of horror movie aesthetic, but in certain circumstances, like there's not a lot of horror in it. So like the absence of like gore effects or anything kind of feels like, I don't know, maybe it's just a little bit bland um, with that aesthetic, or maybe that's just how movies were made in the early nineties. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It, it definitely has that feel though. Yeah. 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 And I I mean, I do like the cast though. Yes. Um, And that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. Ed Harris is always a delight. Um, and I think we mentioned before Max von Sydow's like perfect casting. Mm-hmm. He did obviously did a great job with, yeah. with Leland Gaunt. Bonnie Bedelia, I you know, mm-hmm. I really just know her as John McClane's wife. Yeah. That's mostly what I remember her for. Um, she was fine, she did a good job. Mm-hmm. But then like I love the like character actors they got because it's like yes. so nineties character actors mm-hmm. who were great actors most notably jt walsh <laughs> yes is just an awesome actor i love mm. him but also i don't uh, know if i've seen him in anything yeah i guarantee you've seen him in okay. something because he's been in a lot of stuff nice uh ray mckinnon as well and then don s davis as reverend rose those are the mm-hmm. and honestly amanda Plummer, i you can kind of qualify her as like a character actor. oh yeah she's not she's never been a leading lady really that's yeah. never been her niche as an actor um but she's always she's always good too mm-hmm. i mean she she can be over the top and she's she's kind of an odd person but yeah she, I, i'm always taken by her she's i think of like uh so i married an axe murderer with oh yeah <laughs> with, um, um mike uh, myers mike myers um 
that's a goofy, silly movie, but she kind of steals part of that movie because she's so quirky and odd, and she I always she always has so much personality. So I I really yeah. like I like her as an actor too. But yeah, there's a lot of great character actors in this. Yeah, and uh, for Amanda Plummer, I always just associate her with Pulp Fiction. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, yeah, uh, Bunny or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Honey totally, Bunny. Honey Bunny. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> so any one of you motherfucking perks move <laughs> and I'll execute every last motherfucking one of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, Jesus. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the, the character actors are great. There's some, I think my biggest, um, gripe about it is, is this crisis of tone that it has. Mm-hmm. Like, there are scenes that are played to a heightened level of just shenanigan shenaniganry. Yeah. Um, like the first scene with, uh, is it Norris, the, the deputy guy mm-hmm. and Danforth Keaton? Like it is so like over the top, it like really screaming in the face. And yeah. like before that, we have the very cheesy scene where, uh, where he's he's like practicing, like speaking to <laughs> right. like someone in in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's so goofy and yeah. weird, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So it has that weird tone issue, and I think that if I if I were to go back and watch it again and see it as more of a black comedy, um, <laughs> I may actually get more out of it. Yeah, but. As of now, this first viewing, this only viewing that I've had of it, um, Max von Sydow and Ed Harris are fantastic. Yeah. And the rest of the movie is kind of just a, a little bit of a mess and, and not very memorable. Yeah, right. Is the best I could say about it. Yeah. Um, also, one kind of, I guess this isn't this isn't a criticism. It's 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 a nitpick and probably not worth really going into because when we get into like the changes from the book to the movie, I mean, that's a slippery slope and that's not constructive, Mm -hmm. but I kind of feel like Ed Harris and Bonnie Bedelia were like too young. Yeah. (laughs) Like I I don't understand that choice. I I think it would have been a lot better if the like couple of them were like age appropriate for the text. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It was a little out of place. Yeah. Yeah. Um also a lot of the depth for the characters wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like in like in the book. Yeah. Um, like uh Polly didn't have her whole background. Right. Um nothing about Sheriff Pangborn's family was really yeah. hardly mentioned at all. Yeah. I don't think at all. Um I, I don't think I don't think he had any tragic backstory or anything. Yeah. So yeah. um another yeah. gripe on that front is that they introduce Pangborn to <laughs> Leland Gaunt, like in one of the first right. scenes, yeah, that, like that. There's no buildup. There's no, no buildup at all. None at all. Um, yeah, and and yeah, there is a lot of lacking backstory and characterization and everything. But to the movie's credit, I will say that even though the tone is a little bit all over the place and a little jumbled and everything, I do think that the movie does a pretty admirable job of putting together all of these disparate pieces and introducing this like big ensemble cast of characters in the town and giving them each like a trinket from needful things and giving them at least something to work toward. So even if they skimp on the backstory and motivation, it's, it's at least a lot clearer (laughs) 
in yeah. the movie, like who's who and who has what and who is against who and all that. Um, right. So I did appreciate that for, you know, being kind of a little bit more streamlined and less cluttered than, than the book was. Right. That's true. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the whole idea that we talked about with the book review last time, the whole idea of this crumbling community, um, even though it is a big ensemble and we do get all of those characters and everything, I didn't feel like it demonstrated how much of a community they were. Yeah. It just felt like it felt like they were the only people in Castle Rock. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. How'd you feel about the depiction of Castle Rock? Um, I, I'm sorry. The p- depiction of, um, Oh God damn it. <sighs> Castle. Rock! So how'd you feel about the depiction of that? <laughs> um, it, it felt, it didn't feel like a character. It, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a unique setting. Right. It didn't, it didn't have a Stephen King small town feel to it. Mm-hmm. It was, it was blatantly absent. Yeah. From the movie for sure. Um, cause it's such a, you know, in the Stephen King verse, it's a significant place <laughs> and, yeah. and it didn't, it just didn't have much characteristic to it. Um, mm-hmm. the sets and everything and the location filming was fine. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't woven into anything very well. Yeah. And I, that's what I didn't really care for. Yeah. It kind of felt like there's like a main street set, like a, like just, street level where like the the sewing shop or whatever is and where needful thing is like there's a centralized like area for that that feels like a back lot maybe not back lot but like it just feels like a you know a set yeah and then you get like these scenes on like farmland that feel like it's slightly incongruous to the whole community i I don't Mm -hmm. know and kind of just isolated and desolate right so i don't know that kind of threw me off just a little bit yeah plus there's the all the coastal stuff too like yeah um there's a part where where brian rusk is -hmm. like on a like a dock type area like by the ocean and um sheriff pangborn comes and talks to him Mm -hmm. it has a cool set it looked good but yeah, yeah it just it felt detached from the town it didn't it didn't right. it didn't feel like it had any shared characteristics for a castle rock type thing yeah know. and and i kind of like maybe it's unfair to compare it to something like it but because i mean it was obviously big budget you mm-hmm. know studio film in present day like filmmaking yeah. terms in terms of money and everything but like the depiction of dairy i mean that is a lived-in community right. town yeah and like i kind of feel like a castle rock story the last castle rock story um quote unquote um could have really benefited from having more of a a vibe of community in it Mm -hmm. Um, because that's one of the things that i was really pretty drawn to with the book was the sense of crumbling community and and how the the fragility of community yeah um yeah how did you feel about the visual effects of like like the second that Brian Rust gets the card. Yeah. I'm just like, like, I think I audibly said, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, me too. No. I was like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, for the listener, it is a, um, a very cutting edge, um, <laughs> for 93, uh, lightning effect on the hand as the, as the, as the object is, you know, transferred by hand. And then it just transports him into this, into Todash space, um, <laughs> into another realm 
where he is seeing like the baseball in slow motion and blurry and everything. Right. And that that's the same motif, that's the same style that happens anytime anyone takes something from Gaunt. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, I know it's a visual medium. I I know that and I know that that's how that is communicated through film, but man, yeah, I feel like they skimped a little bit on that. And totally. And yeah. it was completely unnecessary. Oh, yeah, oh, totally. Really did not need that at all. Yeah. I didn't mind the kind of like flashes that people got, like mm-hmm. their memories or like the mental images that were flooding mm-hmm. their head like that was fine yeah like, i mean it, it was a little cheesy but now, now that we're talking about it, it just reminds me of lost yeah yeah totally mm-hmm. totally does yeah except not executed as well right as lost but uh but yeah it just didn't oh the internet will tell you different <laughs> um sorry right but yeah it, it wasn't it just wasn't necessary i don't know why they felt they needed to do that yeah and it also kind of undermines the significance of it a little bit. It makes yeah. it more direct. Like this is this feeling of glee that is transported into this person. And it's not like, I don't know. It just, it didn't have like the, the dimension of the book where it's like, okay, this is something that this person desired so much. And they, they, it's a totem for them now. They're holding on to it. Like there's a little bit of that with Bonnie Bedelia as Polly later in the movie, but mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't feel like there was a lot of cohesion throughout throughout it. Um, right. Yeah. It didn't feel that way. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of missing some of the... I mean, I I missed Ace Merrill. I, you know, it's funny. I did not miss him. Really? Yeah. Um, just mainly yeah. just towards the end, like when he teams up with Danforth, mm-hmm. Keaton, and they go set all the bombs and everything. Yeah. And that was kind of missing. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it was... Was it... Brian Rusk's mom who had the Elvis fantasy. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was I thought that was an effective one and just kinda Yeah. It wasn't in the movie, which I, I understand there's time limitations and you can't necessarily have every character in there. So like I I get that and you have to cut somewhere, so I'm not super mad at it, but I don't know. I yeah. I th- I think one of the more more effective ones was Hugh Priest though. I agree. I was curious if they were gonna do the foxtail thing, but I thought the whole like Letterman jacket was a really good trade off. Yeah, and I I I actually really uh, I think yeah I really like that I like that too yeah, yeah. it's a good creative choice yeah and it also speaks to I think that that the effectiveness of that is that it speaks to um or tangentially kind of implies this small town mentality small town America kind of thing that Stephen King is so adept at writing about in that okay this like Hugh Priest is this kind of older drunken guy who his his needful thing is a letter jacket that transports him back to how he felt when he was in his prime in high school. Yeah. Um so I just I I like that as as kind of borderline cliché as it is. Yeah. I really like that as in terms of subtext for for the story. Yeah, it worked. Um, yeah. It was one of the few uh, totems to mm-hmm. to borrow your word that really resonated, I guess, or really jumped yeah. out. I mean, kind of knew what a lot of the other ones were, but mm-hmm. That one seemed to last as well because, like, I feel like um, I think I think what I liked about the whole totem thing or the the, the object that they latched onto in the book is that they were obsessed with it. Yeah, and I feel like in the movie that wasn't as present. Like, yeah. with the exception of Hugh Priest and his ja- wearing his right. jacket everywhere, like I I didn't feel like Brian Rusk was obsessing over the card no. all the time like he was in the book and yeah. Um, in I'm, his big scene, which we'll talk about in spoilers, mm-hmm. in because of that, 
Well, I, I don't necessarily want to say because of that, but sort of due to how it's underdeveloped and everything, it, that scene kind of comes out of nowhere. A little bit. It, it's yeah. underdeveloped. It it's wasn't earned. very undercooked, right? Yeah. We'll talk about that in spoilers, but yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, did you notice, I didn't notice it until I read the trivia, but when Hugh Priest puts on the jacket and we get that shot, that blurry shot of him in the car as a teenager with all the people and everything, uh, the foxtail is attached to oh, was it? like the antenna of the car. Okay, I didn't see so, that. So that's a nice little Easter egg. Nice. I wish the car would have been a Plymouth Fury, but whatever. Oh my God, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. Uh, so how do you feel about the performances kind of all around? You said you liked Bonnie Bedelia and Amanda Plummer? Yeah, they both did a good job. I mean, they're, they're fine. I, there wasn't a lot to work with here. This script no. was not all that great yeah. uh, as far as dialogue or or construct or anything it was not a particularly impressive mm-hmm. script so they didn't have a ton to work with but yeah. uh and again the characters weren't weren't super developed right they, there was some some there but i, I don't know it, it felt lacking so mm-hmm. um with all that given all those things yeah everybody did a pretty good job i th- yeah. I, th- I think ed harris and max von Sydow are the standouts yeah um I, and i would say jt walsh is uh is it, he he would be the standout if he was acting in the movie he thought he was acting in, yeah, right? Um, yeah, he took it too far. He was a little yeah yeah he was very too much. over the top. Like yeah, what when he's handcuffed to the car, mm-hmm. he does like something like nanny nanny boo or something yes. something so dumb, right? Yeah, he's really good in um, Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, nice, great in that movie. Nice. So yeah, he's a really good actor, but nice. yeah, the, the performances aren't. It's it's not a it's not a performance driven movie, for sure. I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, and last time we talked, uh, last episode of the podcast, um, the I, I had mentioned that the the um, the dark half movie came out in the same year, and mm-hmm. that also features Alan Pangborn. And mm-hmm. I don't think I could remember who played Alan Pangborn in the movie, but I do. I did look it up now. Um, do you want to hear? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Michael Rooker. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm curious how huh. I, we'll have to read the dark half and, and review the movie in the book yeah. at some point, but I'm curious to compare Ed Harris's version with Michael Rooker hmm. and how the character plays out in both. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, performances for me. Yeah. I, I was pretty i i agree with what you said it's yeah. like they they were pretty much the standout um when i could when i could really buy into or when i could when i when i could kind of key into the tone that they were going for especially with keaton's character i was i was really taken with jt walsh's performance in a campy kind of over the top way yeah um so that that was fun like there's uh, that's spoilers. Yeah. So uh, there's a line that's just it's so it's so funny. It's darkly comic. <laughs> it's really it and it's it's really it's it's kind of a treat. Where it's a conversation or it's a line that he says to Leland Gaunt. Um, I'm just like okay, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't remember if it's from the book or not, but yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any other non-spoiler thoughts? Nah. Okay. Hypothetically. If we were to make a top 19 adaptations list and then do an episode about top 19 adaptations at some point, <laughs> um, would this place on your top 19 adaptations of Stephen King work? That's a hard negative. Okay. <laughs> no, it would not. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Same yeah. here. Um, how do you think it's... Do you think that this story has 
enough substance to merit like having a, a a kind of more modern adaptation come out at some point. I think somebody could do something with it, okay. especially on like TV because there's yeah. so much potential now and with yeah. all the streaming services and everything. I think somebody could pick it yeah. up and do a decent job with it, but mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to get like up in arms saying that it should be remade. Like right. I, I'm not I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily look forward to it if they were mm-hmm. going to do that, but uh but yeah, it it could it could be I think I think it would format well to television. Like I think a, so like too. a limited series, 3 or 4 episodes, 5 episodes. Yeah, that way like they that. could really expand on the Castle Rockness of right, it. Right, totally. Um do you think it would have made a good season of Castle Rock the TV show? Oh yeah. yeah. I definitely do, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Man, I wish we had more of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what are you going to do? Right. Um, okay, so I think we're talked out in non-spoilers. Uh, what did you rate it out of five stars? Uh, two, I think. Nice. Yeah. I did 2.5. Okay. Out of five stars. Um, so yeah, so that's our non-spoiler review for Needful Things, the movie. We're going to go into spoilers. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. Um, if you want to... Well, I mean... Oh, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, and then um, when we come back from that clip... We're going to be spoiling Needful Things, but right off the bat, I'm going to be spoiling The Mist, the movie and the novella. So I'm going to put an extra timestamp in the show notes. So if you haven't read or watched The Mist and don't want to be spoiled, go to that timestamp when you listen, when you hear the trailer play for it. So does that make sense, Tiny? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so I'm going to be spoiling The Mist. And then when we go into spoilers for Needful Things, here's a clip from the trailer for Needful Things. Castle Rock Entertainment and Stephen King invite you to visit Castle Rock, Maine, a quiet little town whose population has just increased by one. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I guess I have to. We can't have one without the other. What's he look like? What the hell does he look like? May I take this opportunity to welcome you to Castle Rock on the good Lord's behalf? All right, so spoilers on for Needful Things. And right off the bat, I'm going to be spoiling The Mist once again, as I said. So (laughs) spoiler for The Mist. Uh, Here we go. So Tiny, something that I thought about today when I I was working um, and thinking about this movie is the timing of Stephen King adaptations, like the different eras of Stephen King adaptations. Mm -hmm. And this is more of just an observation that I have in that I find it interesting that in the book Needful Things, Brian Russ kills himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, um, I, I I don't have any idea why they made this choice. I'm inclined to believe it's because it was a 90s movie and the <laughs> studio was probably like, you can't have a kid commit suicide. Right. Because what they do with Brian Rusk is he attempts to commit suicide. And then there's a throwaway line where Ed Harris is like, oh, it's a, it was an attempted suicide. Yeah. <laughs> He's okay. He's right. off screen. He's okay. Yeah. And that's the end of that storyline. But what I find interesting about that is that this movie was made in 93. And then in 2007, we got The Mist, mm-hmm. where I, I just want to make this observation in terms of just how different the like tone and how different the kind of standards of, of like darkness and film is. Yeah. But in 2007, we got the mist where the novella 
I don't know. Should should I spoil the novella? Sure. Okay. The novella kind of leaves open ended, mm-hmm. and where they where they leave the leave the grocery store, and it's just like okay, now we're on our way. We don't know what we're gonna find. The end. Whereas the movie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ends with uh, um, uh, T- Tom Jane shooting everyone in the car, including his young son. Yep. <laughs> and then dry firing the empty gun into his mouth uh as the as the mist lifts and the army comes and uh rescues him mm-hmm. so just like i just found that really interesting that juxtaposition in uh, over the span of what 14, 14 years, years yeah. where we have a movie where a kid's death in the book is not adapted right and then we have a movie where <laughs> where a kid is doomed <laughs> after he survived in the novella. Right. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Spoilers off for The Mist <laughs> and spoilers on for Needful Things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, Tiny, uh, how do you feel in spoilers? <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to think of what we can spoil. I mean, yeah. Um, Polly th- getting the pendant. Um, yeah. Um, and that, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. The whole sexual thing between them yeah, seemed out of place to it me. It felt weird. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I don't understand that really because like they they removed the whole Elvis sexual stuff. Yeah. And then not replaced it, but they they instead did like Polly having a sexual encounter fantasy with Gaunt and it's like Yeah. That's just weird cuz it's not it's not speaking to her desires or anything. Right. Yeah. It's a sense of control and it's just, I don't know. It, it's out of place. Yeah. I, it was shoehorned in for whatever reason. Yeah. I, I don't think it fit at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know what control this demon person, like what, how this is satisfying for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't get that one either. Yeah. But, uh, um, the... So the ending, I guess we can talk about. I, yeah, I feel like they were, <laughs> they were like, well, we built these sets, let's fucking blow them up. <laughs> like, yeah, like shit's supposed to blow up, let's blow some shit up. <laughs> I, I did like the obviously like the practical effects and everything yeah. of the explosions. I thought that was fine. Sure. Um, but yeah, and again, like kind of leapfrogging over to to the end end, but like the kind of, I wish that there was a bigger showdown between. Pangborn and Gaunt. Right. Like, it's just them yelling at each other in the street. And yeah. it's just like, I, like in the book, it's so, and to your point, I think that this is where I was missing Ace Merrill because in the book, it's like this Mexican standoff kind of thing. And there's this whole like big energy, like, like, um, big, uh, uh, kind of climax. And then here it's just like, Alan is, is yelling at everyone like, Hey, everyone just pay attention. Like he's, he's the devil and everything. And, it's just, it feels weirdly anticlimactic. And, yes, that's the word I was yeah. going to say, anticlimactic. Yeah. Which is weird because there's two big-ass explosions. Exactly. But, yeah. And I kind of wonder if that is a direct result of them not really working hard enough to establish the sense of community in the story. Yeah. Because had it been more grounded in this communal story of Castle Rock instead of having, like, this communal story of individual characters who just are the only people who live in Castle Rock, apparently. Share space, basically. Share space, yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like Pangborn kind of pleading and, and yelling at, yelling for everyone to, to wake up and open their eyes and everything 
he's yelling at these individual people. He's not yelling at the town. It's not yeah, right. a town wide thing. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. So that was that, that the movie kind of lost a little bit of luster there yeah. as well. And also the Leland Gaunt character seemed, it, it was a disservice to him, I think in the end, because mm-hmm. he's, he just kind of, he gets blown up in the building and then he survives and yeah. just kind of walks out and has some kind of throwaway line and yeah. gets in the car and drives off. And that's the end of the movie. There's no denouement really. No. It just, it was a very abrupt ending. And yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, I feel like in the, this may be a stretch, but I kind of feel like the, the attitude or the kind of weird swagger that he had at the end felt like it was a little too close to Randall Flagg. Yeah, um, both in the book and the miniseries. I don't remember when the miniseries came out. Um, hmm, if it was before this, ninety four. I want to say I, I, it was ninety four. So you're right. So so it wasn't. Uh, this wasn't a response to that or anything. Yeah. But he does have this like cheeky, like Randall Flag kind of energy to him, which yeah. I love that in Randall Flag. <laughs> yeah, and the different different iterations of Randall Flag. But here, I mean, he's this. He's a mischievous, mischievous uh, devil kind of character. Like, he's supposed to embody the devil in a small town, mm-hmm. wreaking havoc for whatever fucking reason. And it's just he kind of is too playful at the end, which, I don't know, it just felt a little... And I mean, I guess it's in character with the depiction in the story, because like he had this, that line where he's like, oh, yeah, that carpenter from Jerusalem. Yeah, he's he's got a bright future or something. I knew him or something. <laughs> um, so he's he kind of has this cheeky persona to him, uh, kind of playing into the comic, like dark, to- dark comic tones of the story of the of the of the movie. Yeah. But it just it felt like it just it, anticlimactic and, and unfulfilling at the end. Right. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that good. Yeah, it, it was kind of, kind of a bummer. Right. Um, there was one line by Keaton where, uh, it's after he's killed his, after he killed his wife, which I think was maybe my favorite moment of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not for any, like, any, like, like, oh, she deserved it or anything like that. Just the way that it was done. Mm-hmm. I think that it fit what I would imagine to be a relatively low budget movie. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it was really well done in that she, he, he pulls into the garage, he honks incessantly at her. Yeah. She comes out and he is berating her, telling her to get the, to get, uh, to get tools out to help him, uh, get the, um, door handle off. So, cause he's handcuffed to the door handle and everything. He's being very irate, very angry at her. She's fumbling and everything. And then when he gets out and they have like their, their big moment where they're talking, yelling at each other and she calls him Buster, he like raises the hammer. And then there's like right before it cuts, she closes her eyes and then it immediately cuts to him with the bloody hammer in the sink. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that, I mean, that was great. That yeah. I thought was really well done. It was effective. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't stand out to me that much. But, okay. But yeah, it was effective. Yeah. Nice. For sure. Well, I kind of think part of it was also I was looking for anything to really latch on to. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I did also like the scene uh, that's in the trailer where uh, Pangborn talks to uh, uh, the, the father guy uh, in the church. Yeah. Right. About hell and the devil. Yeah. But the line that I really liked was um, 
Keaton calling Gaunt and saying, I just killed my wife. Is that bad? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just thought that was, that's, that is, is super over the top. Right. Super campy, but I, I yeah. was kind of in the zone with that. In yeah. the right groove. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else in spoilers? Man, now that I can think of, I'm not sure how much analysis this deserves, really. I, I you know? don't know either. Yeah. Um, there's only so much meat on the bone. Yep. Um, how, so I, I, in the, in the review of the book, um, I think I mentioned how similar the story felt to Salem's Lot and how Salem's Lot was kind of a prototypical or prototype for this type of story where it's just big destruction story for a big town. Mm hmm. Um, which I think is a, I mean, it's a recurring kind of motif or whatever in Stephen King's writing, which I personally believe he perfected with Under the Dome. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but here I don't like, we've talked about it and everything, but I don't, I don't think it really, uh, worked. <laughs> no, not so as much. Well. Yeah. Um, it makes me curious how the Pet Cemetery move, or uh, not Pet Cemetery, but um, Salem's Lot. Did I say Pet Cemetery before? No, you said Salem's Lot. Okay, good. Salem's Lot. Um, how the Salem's Lot adaptation or adaptations are. Yeah. Um, we'll get to those eventually. Right. Um, okay, so any parting thoughts for Needful Things 1993? No, I say we put it to bed. I think so too. So, um, yeah, that's it for our spoiler review. <laughs> For Needful Things, let us know what you thought of Needful Things. Um, yeah, I mean... There's just not much to say. There's not much to say. And I feel like, like I said, maybe there's... Maybe after we've reviewed a, a big chunk of adaptations, like from the master list and everything, mm-hmm. maybe there could be uh, uh, something down the road for an episode where we talk about different stages of adaptations. Because, like I said, this really feels like it's kind of a by the numbers adaptation from like, from like the, I don't know, just spitballing here, like uh, like Stephen King, uh, crazy crazy su- successful novelist, and then crazy successful adaptations, or where they're just throwing anything out, right? Like early nineties, like Phase One, yeah, of those. <laughs> and then when like it ha- came out in twenty seventeen or whatever. Um, was that 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of opened the floodgates, I guess, for more like actual adaptations. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it's just very much by the numbers kind of 90s Stephen King adaptations. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think that'll do it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Yep. Um, next time we're going to be reviewing Billy Summers, the new novel by Stephen King. And if you can't wait to listen to our review of Needful, or not, not Needful Things, but Billy Summers, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where $2 gets you access to an RSS feed that has tons of stuff but also five episodes of me talking about Billy Summers as I read it in chunks. So check that out. Um, thank you for the people that did uh, uh, pledge on Patreon. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, more stuff to come there. Uh, once again, I'm going to hopefully at some point be doing episode reviews of Chapel Wait. Um, maybe that'll be like my September project. Um, for Patreon for the $2 level. Um, past Billy Summers Tiny, we're going to do an episode with uh, Kim C. from the year of underrated Stephen King, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about. Yep. 
And then do you have any thoughts on what we should do next? I kind of feel like you, I, <laughs> judging from our conversations, I kind of feel <laughs> like you are f- experiencing a little bit of Stephen King fatigue. <laughs> yeah, maybe a scotch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because I feel like I read him so much and it's hard mm-hmm. for me to get to other stuff, I guess. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And also, I, if I could put thoughts in your brain or words in your mouth, <laughs> um, I also kind of feel like, okay, uh, we just did Lisey's story every episode. Right. And then, uh, needful things and then the movie and everything. Right. Um, I do want to say that late next month, we are going to be continuing our different seasons, seasonal episode thing. So September like 22nd or 21st, whenever, whenever the, uh, autumn solstice is, uh, we are going to be releasing our review of the body and stand by me. So that is coming. And uh, I also want us to do the Dark Half and the Dark Half movie. Mm-hmm. And we also have a promise to fulfill for the uh, listener choice, uh, the second listener choice thing by doing Dreamcatcher, the book and movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that can be like a November project. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so anyway, a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline uh, for Tower Junkies. Tiny, do you have any parting thoughts, any parting words, anything? Anything you want to pitch that we do in the coming weeks or future? Ooh, put me on the spot. Yes. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. Well, all right. In that case, I'm going to play us out. And I uh, just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. And then now we're at the point where in his story and his backstory where he's going to start telling us about his time in the Marines, his time in Fallujah. And they've already... King has already left these little breadcrumbs here talking about the the baby shoe um, and how he how he... Uh, forgot the baby shoe or lost the baby shoe or something. And like those little like tidbits here and there, um, that uh, it's just, it's really, really interesting. It's really appetizing. It's really making me interested to see what's going to happen uh, in his backstory. And I think that that is just such a great, a great way to develop this character is like, it's not, it's not, I praised last night. I praised how much it's, uh, how great it is that it's, that it's through, through the creative writing, uh, exercises that Billy Summers is doing. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. 
or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!